and welcome to Mash Mouth, the podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, Mash. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ethan. Ethan, in today's episode, Hawkeye gets a concussion. So I wanted to ask you if you have any concussion-related stories? Yes. uh, In the past, I've talked about my various injuries that have had appendicitis that I've uh, broken my back a little bit on a field trip. (laughs) Um, And today... I will regale you with the story of when I was a small child and like literally cracked my head open. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Relax, it'll be fine. (laughs) When I was very young, I used to live in a house that had a fireplace. It had a concrete uh, kind of landing. I don't know what the actual term is, but, you know, concrete slab on the like floor. And on my mom's birthday, when I was very young, I fell backwards and hit my head on this concrete material and basically cracked my head open. And I don't know if I had a concussion, but I I did kind of black out. And then the next thing I remembered was uh, staples being put into my head. So oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a bit traumatizing. It was quite the evening. I don't remember a lot of it naturally, but I think that's the closest I've come to having a, a concussion. How old were you? I was maybe 5 years old. Oh my god. I, I was wow. definitely not in first grade yet cuz when I was in first grade that was m- when my brother was born and I know my brother was not uh around yet so it was definitely under the the first grade threshold but again i don't have strong memories of this evening other than the staples being put in my head because let me tell you you do not forget staples being put into the back of your head Oof! i can imagine that you would not forget that kind of pain wow that is that's really crazy and on your poor mother's birthday no less yeah it was unfortunate <laughs> that is absolutely crazy i my story is a little bit less crazy than that i would say um, i think i might I have would, actually i would hope so <laughs> i think i might have actually mentioned this before on the podcast um but recently my sister got into um, a car accident thankfully she was fine the other woman was fine but she had a mild concussion from that car accident but the funny part of the story and I can say it was funny because nobody was seriously injured, was I was happened to be on my way home that day and I saw flashing lights literally just up the block. Oh, and my I was God. Like, wow, I guess somebody got into an accident on that bad corner up there because they're that the corner where my sister got into her accident. Everybody gets into accidents there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, bet somebody got into an accident on that corner. And then not even five minutes later, my sister calls me and says, can you come pick me up? I got into an accident. I was like, oh, no. That, that's terrifying. I hate that. That's like a, a Steven Spielberg horror scene, you know, like the <laughs> you, the family sees the lights and I'm like, huh. And then they find out that it's actually their family. You're like, oh, no. Um, Incredible. I don't know if these are good stories to share. I don't know if they're funny or not. Yeah, but... I think that they're funny because everybody's okay. I mean... I don't know who would want to hear these things, but we're sharing them regardless. <laughs> Welcome to our uh, oversharing parasocial era of Mashmouth. <laughs> so, going from our concussion stories and staples in the back of the head, apparently, a la Ethan, 
In this episode, Hawkeye, our main man, Hawkeye, overturns his Jeep and gets a concussion. Wow. While he waits for rescue, he stays with a Korean family and keeps them and himself entertained. So, Ethan, what did you think about this episode? Okay. So, I loved this episode. Um, Before we watch this one, you gave me a warning that I would love this episode. And let me tell you, you were right. And I really did not know what to expect. You know, the episode is called Hawkeye. And that's kind of like mysterious and foreboding, you know, like anytime a sitcom uh, episode is named after one of the main characters, you're like, okay, this is going to be loaded with uh, something. I don't know what. And it turns out this episode is entirely a monologue by Alan Alda. And I was so surprised and delighted by this. This really, I, I loved it. It was like a great piece of television. Uh, I, I'll talk about it more, but before I get into more of my thoughts, what are what did you think about this episode? So, as I said, I knew this episode was coming, and I knew that you were going to like it. Um, I really liked this episode as well. Um, I think that it's one of those standout episodes in the entire series. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people tend to bring this episode up as one of the best episodes of the series. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but wow, I do really like this episode because it's it's super interesting, and I think mm-hmm. that the writers and Alan Alda did a fantastic job with this episode, which I'll get into. I'll get into my reasons for that a little bit okay. later, but yeah, I think that I think that this one just stands out to me because it messes with the typical. Um, 4077, operation, surgery, banter, this, that, and the other thing. And it gives us something new and refreshing. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I really like this episode. Yeah, this episode is very experimental. And I think we've had one or two like more kind of concept-driven episodes in the past. But this one is so like, hey, we have a concept. It's going to be like all monologue from Alan Alda. And it's so interesting how well they, like, actually pulled this off. Because, um, you know, like, writing dialogue... Like, I've written, like, 10-minute plays before and stuff like that. And that's typically, like, dialogue between two characters for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. And that's a lot easier to do and, like, manage than a 25-minute monologue. I mean, obviously, it's, like, been done. Like, stand-up comedy is kind of... a you know, long monologue, but to have, like, a character have to, like, do this and, like, keep the audience kind of engaged with the story, it's such a challenge. Like, I'm I'm so surprised to see something like this come from a show that came out so long ago. Um, It's just, I'm really impressed by it. Yeah, like I said, I think that the writers and Ellen Alda did just a fantastic job with this episode. Um... Yeah, so why don't why don't we get into I guess there's not really a plot to this episode, but why mm-hmm. don't we get into a little bit deeper into this episode? Sure, sure. So this starts off with Hawkeye coming back from an aid station, which we learn in like 10 seconds. Um and he veers off the road and the Jeep crashes when two little kids run out in front of his Jeep and he swerves mm-hmm. to miss them. And it's really kind of scary in the mm-hmm. first 10 seconds because um he is the jeep is entirely overturned and hawkeye's bleeding and you're like oh he definitely really hurt himself so that's where we start 
And then the two little kids help him into their house. And it's really interesting because you can tell that the parents are like, get that man out of here. Like, get him out of here. (laughs) We don't want him here. (laughs) No, this opening scene does such a good job, like, setting up the kind of unusual tone of the episode that Hawkeye is just kind of riding in a Jeep by himself, which I don't think we have seen anywhere else. I don't think Hawkeye's ever been like alone like this. So you're already like, okay, what's what's happening here? And I was worried that like he would hit like a landmine or something. But him kind of swerving to miss these two kids does a great job to like establish his character to reintroduce like kind of who he is and like that he was like trying to stop himself from like hurting kids is just like a nice thing for him to do, you know? Um, and yeah, bringing him into the house and everyone's like, we don't really understand what's going on here. If like this guy's a good guy or a bad guy is like an interesting bit of tension that like carries throughout the episode because the family doesn't speak English at all. So the whole episode, you're like, do they like him? Do they not? What's going on here? I didn't so much get that of uh, I thought the tension kind of dissipated in that first very initial scene where Hawkeye enters their their little house um, when the father is kind of yelling and the mm-hmm. the older daughter and obviously his wife are like, no, no, like, be quiet. He's a hurt person. You know, we're going to help him out. Yeah. And then I really felt like after that, they should have probably kicked this crazy man out who was just ranting for an entire day, basically, mm-hmm. in a foreign language that was they didn't know. Um, <laughs> so they probably could have very easily kicked him out. But I did mm-hmm. think that the tension kind of dissipated right then and there because the focus of the episode was on Hawkeye and on his on his monologue. That is fair. I guess there isn't as much tension as I like maybe thought watching this for the first time i don't know i was just always like what is the turn going to be i was like what is the drama here you know obviously the the main drama is um hawkeye kind of quickly figures out that he definitely has a concussion and the reason why this episode is him talking to himself essentially is that he is trying to keep himself awake trying to just make sure that he doesn't fall unconscious before uh, someone from the 4077 can pick him up. And, like, I think that's a really interesting uh, motivation for for Hawkeye to be King Motormouth, you know what I mean? Like, this is, like, (laughs) Hawkeye in his purest form, but it's also Hawkeye being, like, desperate that, like, if I stop talking, I may die. And I don't know, that that was pretty uh, heavy to put into this episode. What I thought was so interesting about this was I think that the when you have a concussion, you have to stay awake thing is kind of an old wives tale. Um, yeah. And he even said so in the episode. That's what I thought was so interesting about it was that he said he literally explains to the audience that he has a concussion, what, what a concussion is and why he shouldn't feel so worried about staying awake because there's literally no medical backing to say that Mm -hmm. if you fall asleep with a concussion that you will never wake up um but he is just so worried that you know something's gonna happen to him in Mm -hmm. this non-medical setting when he had kind of like a traumatic brain thing going on um 
I thought that that was so interesting to include, you know, and I thought that it was also really interesting on the part of the writers to use a laugh track in this episode. I thought that this one would be ripe for no laugh track. You know what I mean? But they used it. And I thought that that was such an interesting thing that they did. This had like the weakest laugh track of all time. (laughs) There were like lines in this. Like I can't name one specifically. That was like pretty dramatic. But like, you know, Hawkeye like phrased it as a joke. And there was like this ha 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 ha. And it was like, wow, if there was a real audience there, they would probably not laugh (laughs) at that as hard as this canned laughter did. Um, But yeah, I really like that Hawkeye kind of, even though he's a medical man, fell into this kind of superstition of if you fall asleep, like you may die. And there's actually like a lot in this episode, especially in the back half, about kind of like superstition and about how like life doesn't really align with like medical knowledge. I don't it's that was like a really great way to like subtly set up the kind of like philosophical end of the show that kind Mm -hmm. of comes in at the end. Yeah, I agree, because Hawkeye eventually goes on this in his state of not wanting to stop talking so that he doesn't pass out. Um, He goes on this rant about the human body, which I, I'd like to get into a little bit later, because I think that it was just mm-hmm. it was part one of my favorite parts of his whole soliloquy here. Yeah. Um, So one other thing that I wanted to say just really quick in this opening scene with the Korean family is that I I really liked the kind of sense that the audience gets that Hawkeye is just as confused as the audience is, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. having a lack of subtitles or um, a lack of characters that speak English in this scene was very intentional, obviously, because the audience is supposed to take in what Hawkeye is taking in, in terms of being confused and being disoriented and having people speak a language that they don't know is very like immersive in the world almost. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's especially interesting because Hawkeye literally has nobody else to talk to except himself in this episode. He doesn't have anybody to like shoot ideas off of or like oh what are they saying or what what do we think this means or anything like that so i really appreciated that even though shows do that now and that's not groundbreaking at all i think that it was just so special in this episode yes i absolutely agree i love that there were no subtitles it really added to the the sense of isolation and we've talked about this in the past that like we're annoyed that no one in the show like knows how to speak korean and their solution to that is just to yell uh, at other people and tell <laughs> that, you know, they figure it out. And this kind of played with that, where he was, like, really trying to explain that he's a doctor. And at first he does the, like, yelling at foreigners until they, like, understand what he's saying. And then he kind of, like, reconfigures himself and, like, shows his uh, bag that has, like, the red cross on it. And the way that, like, this family is characterized throughout the episode without them having like any actual dialogue like I feel like I still got a sense of who like the father was at least that he was this like guy who's like okay I don't understand anything that you're saying but clearly you you need this so I'm just gonna let you be um it was very interesting characterization and like used the fact that the show takes place in a non- English-speaking country, like, really well. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Like I said, I I I really felt immersed in in Hawkeye's situation with mm-hmm. the lack of subtitles and the lack of English speaking characters besides Hawkeye in this whole episode. Um mm-hmm. so as we said, Hawkeye feels the need to stay awake after his concussion. He doesn't want to pass out. He feels lightheaded. Um but he also acknowledges that medically it's fine if he goes to sleep, but he's worried himself that if he goes to sleep, he n- might not wake up. So throughout the entire episode, the rest of the episode is just Hawkeye talking to himself. And I wanted to, we're not going to sit here and go through every single piece of the monologue that he goes through because mm-hmm. that would be extremely boring and nobody wants to hear that. But I wanted to ask if there's any specific scenes that stuck out to you. I really loved how much of a showman uh, Hawkeye kind of shows himself to be that he's like constantly breaking into song and like at one point kind of doing a stand up comedy routine by like doing (laughs) an impression of somebody else. And this is entirely for like his own amusement. And the way that he, like, does crowd work, I thought was really funny. <laughs> but, like, completely understanding that these these people in this house have no idea what he's saying. But still talking to them, like, ah, oh, you know what I mean. You you know her, right? Like, oh, I, you know, the, the kind of classic crowd work that, like, a comedian does was really well integrated into this episode. Um, and, you know, throughout the entire episode, another part of, like, the tension is, like, how long can he keep this up? Like, how long can it just be Alan Alda talking? Because the entire time, I was like, okay, this is 1970-whatever. They did not, like, do experimental episodes like this. They have to cut away to, like, BJ at the camp at some point. When's that gonna happen? And then they don't, and you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you on the Hawkeye as a showman kind of kind of guy. Um, I think that it's so funny because I I do think that this is Hawkeye at his like purest form. His brain mm-hmm. never stops, and this is what would happen if he was left alone with no filter or like no obligation to have a filter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was just really interesting writing. I think that this just showcases that the writers just know Hawkeye really well and like care about the character because like I said I do think that Hawkeye's brain is just going all the time. Yeah. And he's he is just like singing songs to himself in his head and I loved like the pop culture references that they did in this episode. I didn't catch all of them because they were they were very dated um yeah but some of them i did catch and i was like oh man this man is just absolutely me and maybe that's why i love hawkeye so much and why i love the show so much because this is like truly how i act when i'm left by myself i like sing to myself i make dumb pop culture references i'm like oh i feel seen in this episode (laughs) this is basically hawkeye's one man mash podcast let's be real um (laughs) Speaking of pop culture references, I have to shout out one that really stuck out to me was at one point he goes outside and like talks to their cow and does like (laughs) puns about the cow. And he mentions (laughs) (laughs) and then he mentions cow green was my valley. And I just have to shout out as a movie nerd that that how green is my valley is the movie that beats this and came for best picture. And I think that's the only thing it's known for these days. So I was like, ooh, this is some cinephile references right now. 
That's very interesting. That is quite interesting. I didn't know that. So thank you for that little impromptu trivia. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So like I keep saying, Alan Alda was great in this episode. And what Mm -hmm. really solidified that for me was pretty early on um, in the fish monologue that he did. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just like I'm not going to like recount the whole thing, but he he talked about wanting like having a craving for fish and like where he used to get fish from when he was in um, when he was in medical school and stuff like that. And you honestly see so much talent here from both the writers and from Alan Alda. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the acting was so good because you're like captured by this fish story. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He had you hanging on like every word. You're like, okay, where is this going? Where is this going? Where is this going? And Mm -hmm. I feel like that is something very unique to Alan Alda. Like, yes, the writing was was quite good and they definitely needed good writing to move these scenes forward. But Alan Alda really just sold it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that speaks to his talent in terms of he has nobody to play off of in these scenes. It's just him driving these scenes forward. And yeah, yeah like I said, the the fish. I just loved the fish. I could watch that scene so many times. It shows off a lot of his, like, natural charisma and just, again, showmanship that, like, Hawkeye, yes, is a doctor, but in the ideal world, Hawkeye just kind of is Alan Alda, like, on stage doing, like, a beautiful play every night, you know? (laughs) Um, And him talking about the fish was so funny because it reminded me a lot of Adam's ribs where he does such a good job of selling food really well. <laughs> like, man, I want whitefish now. I want lox. I want to have that bagel. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that Alan Alda's second talent is definitely like food criticism. <laughs> yeah. They should put him like in commercials for various restaurants in the 70s. Because like, <laughs> who else is better at it than him? <laughs> no, truly. The other thing that really stuck out to me was like like the theme of this season, just casually dropping in backstory. <laughs> oh, dude, I was going to break this up. Yeah. So first of all, he mentions that his family has been in Maine for centuries. Um, <laughs> and he also mentions that he is an only child where that's a retcon because he at one point had a sister who gave Um, him a sweater he has a physical representation of the sister that doesn't exist anymore (laughs) and then also yes that and then also he mentions that he had a medical practice in boston and i'm like how many places has this man lived how many places he's not that old jeez He's a Jack Kerouac traveling the country. <laughs> I don't know how he got his like medical license at like probably 25. You know, he's probably like 28 to 30 at this time. Because um, I think in the book he's 28. And I guess you just get your medical license and you open up a practice wherever you can go. I don't know. He's a man who's traveled the world. He's very like well seasoned for a young guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just think that it is hysterical that they're just throwing out all of these cities and states that this man has apparently lived in or, or mm-hmm. been from or whatever. <laughs> I from- I love I love this. <laughs> He's from Vermont, from Maine, worked in Boston. Where else has he been? Where has <laughs> Hawkeye toured America before? <laughs> He's also been to what? Chicago for Adam's right. rib. Um like just just everywhere apparently. This is just 
a clear demonstration that people in the 1950s were like able to do more things as young adults than we are today. I'm like, wow, I haven't left New Jersey in like four years Um, (laughs) at the the very least. (laughs) So before we get into like the last part of the episode where Hawkeye gets kind of philosophical about the nature of life, which I do want to discuss a little bit, I have to bring up that I've actually seen an episode of TV like this before where it's all one monologue. Um, there's an episode of the Netflix series BoJack Horseman that is entirely one monologue that a character gives at a uh, memorial service. And when I saw that episode, I thought it was like the most original thing in the world. I was like, oh, no other show has done something like this before where it's all one character talking. And here I am watching MASH, something that came out like 40 years earlier than this other episode. And I'm like, wow, it's all been done. That's so interesting. And I've seen all of BoJack Horseman, but I don't remember this episode. Wow. What episode are you talking about? It is an episode, I believe, in the last season of the show. Um, it's called Free Churro. And it's after <laughs> um, it's after BoJack's mom dies. Spoilers for BoJack Horseman. Um <laughs> And he's kind of giving this, like, long, angsty service to her, saying, like, oh, she never really loved me, stuff like that, and kind of working through his own, like, thoughts and feelings. And, you know, in comparison to this episode, it's very different tones, very different intentions. But I also liked this episode of MASH a lot more than this episode of BoJack Horseman. Really? I was like, wow, they did it first and they did it best. Because with this, you get just so much more variety as a character. Like, the the BoJack Horseman episode is so focused on, like, the angst of it. Um, that, like, this, you get to have, like, just more interesting kind of dialogue that isn't so tied to, here's my musings on life, you know? I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it, and I was remiss not to bring it up. That's so interesting. Now I'm really curious as to how many other TV episodes over the years have done this. I wonder if I I'm sure that MASH wasn't the first. In fact, you know, there's been one man mm-hmm. plays forever. Yeah. Actually, funny enough, Alan Alda, after MASH concluded, he was in a one man play. And it oh, yeah? makes so much sense that he would be able to pull that off because of this episode, because obviously he's a good actor and obviously he can play off of himself. So that that's been like a thing forever, like one man yeah. plays. But I wonder how many episodes of TV have done it because TV is so much different than like theater. So that that's super interesting. TV is such a different medium. And with my uh, comparison to BoJack Horseman, apologies if anyone listening to this hasn't seen BoJack Horseman. It's a great show. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> that show is also animated. So, like, the performance there is kind of all voiceover. And, you know, you have the little bit of animation, but it's mostly just like a character standing still and talking. So it's not, like, visually interesting where this is much more like a theater piece. And it actually made me want to check out some more, like, one-man performances. Like, I think the only one-man, one-woman show that I've ever seen was uh, Amazon released, like, the video version 
of the one woman play Fleabag, which, Mm -hmm. you know, turned into its own TV show. And I watched that once and it was like very good. But I also wasn't like, I need to see more things that are all just one person talking. But now I'm like, give me just one person talking because I want to really dissect it. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's really super interesting. And like I said, I think that it really shows the actor's skills then. Mm -hmm. Um, They always say that the hallmark of a good writer is a writer's ability to tell a short story. And I think that maybe the same might be true for actors and being able to do like one single Mm -hmm. character pieces of things. So I I am really interested. Comment your recommendations. I would love to see them. Um, Last thing I'll say about Alan Alda's performance and the one man show vibe is that, yes, Alan Alda does such a good job with this. But I'm surprised that like this material, like this episode isn't more used in like acting exercise like high school drama classes because this is 100% the kind of thing that I would have done in high school drama and I'm surprised that we didn't because we did scenes from TV shows and this is like the perfect uh, episode of a TV show to pull dialogue from to do a dramatic performance of. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If any high school theater teachers are listening to us right now, pull this episode for your students. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, like you said, I think this is where we're going to probably wrap up our discussion about uh, this episode. But one other piece of Hawkeye's soliloquy that was notable to both of us was this discussion about the human body. Because there is a there's a woman in the house and she's pregnant and he starts off by saying, wow, it's it's crazy how the baby knows to grow inside of a woman. Um And I thought it was such an interesting conversation to have Hawkeye being a doctor saying, I know how the body works. I know how all of these things happen, but I don't know why the body works the way it Mm -hmm. does. And I thought that that was so interesting to include about Hawkeye's character that even though he is a very talented doctor, he is still marveled by the human body. And I mean, who isn't really, if you think about it? No, I loved this scene. The scene's so good. I love that it's from the perspective of Hawkeye, the doctor. And it is, in some ways, like, very philosophical, where he is kind of, like, asking, like, what is life? What is a soul? Um, Without ever really going into, like, religious terms or, like, you know, pretentious kind of headspace. It was kind of from the, like, scientific, like, I'm a man who knows how everything works, and I still don't understand, like, the great mysteries of the universe. Um, It was so interesting to to include in this episode, and normally those kind of, like, monologues do kind of get me where I'm like, oh, I feel like the writer figuring this out in real time, or the actor really enjoying being able to, like, speak on the nature of the soul. But for this, I, like just felt Hawkeye kind of like running out of gas and like really trying to figure out something himself like as a medical professional he's like I've always thought about this and I don't understand it and I have no filter right now so here I am just word vomiting all my thoughts about it out into the world (laughs) I definitely agree with you I think that this again just shows so much of who Hawkeye is because his brain is kind of going in that direction of just like, what is life? What is happening here? Mm -hmm. But it's not overstated. And then 
it's also kind of reinforced with this this last little scene that we get right before radar apparently comes <laughs> to to collect yeah. him um where hawkeye is juggling and he is basically saying like yeah we create these ideas of power and love and whatnot to distract from the reality that life is meaningless and we're all going to die um and but it wasn't <laughs> it just truly was not overstated or like you said the writer is kind of trying to be philosophical or figuring it out for themselves um it just really felt like like it was hawkeye kind of just where his brain would organically go and yeah yeah, i i I loved that that's the big thing with this episode is that it feels so organic that it's a man talking for 25 minutes on his own and you're never like pulled by the strings of the writer from topic to topic it just feels like one stream of consciousness of a guy where it's like perfect writing directing and acting from everyone involved to like really pull this off so well needless to say i i really enjoyed this episode i i love that it goes from him talking about like fish and girls that he like was interested in like strippers at one point to <laughs> like this more like philosophical thing without ever really feeling like there is like a railroad track like pulling you there mm-hmm there's no real divide in the episode where you're like, okay, this is where he starts to get more philosophical. It just kind mm-hmm. of naturally goes there. And that is all the credit to the writers because I feel like that was a really big thing to pull off and they absolutely pulled it off. Um, yeah. And it maintains this like more kind of fun and conversational tone uh, that like Hawkeye would naturally have where it's still kind of like this funny, charming dialogue without him getting into like feeling like he's deeply depressed or whatever you know that he maintains that kind of Hawkeye attitude of like yes he is getting into like more serious stuff like a lower point but it's also still feels like the same Hawkeye yeah absolutely and again I just give the writers all the credit because they just know this character so well and it felt so genuine so then right after this, the Jeep pulls up and you don't see Gary Berghoff, but it's supposed to be Radar that comes to get Hawkeye. And there's this really sweet final scene of Hawkeye coming back to the family and bringing them mm-hmm. gifts and whatnot. And I was very mad at Hawkeye because he did not bring a translator or learn more Korean. Right. Um, he, he just gave like a piece of paper that had his name and the address of the MASH unit on it. To a woman who can't speak English or read English ostensibly. Um, and yeah, it was very infuriating because I'm like, Hawkeye, how is she going to find you when she's in labor? See, we didn't see that piece of paper that he handed to her. So I was hoping that it was written in like Korean. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay. Okay. All right, give Hawkeye. Okay, Hawkeye. <laughs> I'm going to give you some credit here. That, that's a possibility. But yeah, he probably should have came in with some form of translator. I know there's not really one at the camp, but like he could have brought in like a little book. I don't anything, know. Anything. <laughs> These people were just as confused by his speech at the end as they were for his speech in the entire episode. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was funny, but um I I did like that he came back to to thank them properly. 
Yeah. Also, I want to know if the other actors were, like, slightly mad that their characters don't appear in this episode, <laughs> that it's all the Alan Alda show. Um, would they be mad? Would they be, like, interested in the art? Who knows? I think that any opportunity to just, like, relax and make Alan Alda do it would probably be welcome. <laughs> That's true. They're still credited as actors in the episode, they're, so they're probably still getting paid. There you go. So this episode wasn't super line heavy, which is funny because it was very line heavy, um, but (laughs) not a ton of uh, like standout comedic one liners. But do you have any that really stood out to you, Ethan? I have one. And this really struck a chord with me because I wrote it down instantly. Uh, Hawkeye is describing a woman he found attractive and he describes her as this girl was built like a brick autopsy. (laughs) just an incredible (laughs) phrase that like does not read as attractive you know what i mean you don't use the (laughs) word autopsy to describe a hot person (laughs) yeah that's kind of crazy um i have one that's along the same lines not entirely but when hawkeye is going going on about how he finds the human body so interesting and so fascinating he said, why do cells reproduce and re-re-reproduce with such gay abandon? And I thought, wow, I love the description of gay abandon for gay things. Gay abandon. <laughs> Very 1950s gay old time Flintstones vibe to that. <laughs> I really liked that. Um, one other line that you will find unsurprising that I enjoyed was when he was blowing up the the little uh, plastic glove for the kids to bounce around. Oh, yeah. He, he said, um, you could see it as an udder in search of a cow. That's utterly ridiculous. <laughs> yes, that was the most Vanessa line of the episode. Surely that was a Vanessa line of the episode. Loved that. So, Vanessa, do you have any trivia for us in this episode? I do. Okay, so originally I was planning on doing a deep dive into Alan Alda's career and his life and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I decided that we can save that for another day. Hawkeye's not going anywhere as a character. (laughs) So I did a little bit of research about the actors who played the Korean family in this episode. This, I imagine, will be very interesting because these guys had no lines. So I'm very interested to know what other sort of career they've had outside this episode. No lines in English, but lines in Korean. (laughs) Do we know if they were speaking accurate Korean? You know, that's something that I feel like I would love to research in the show. I haven't found any sources about the Korean speaking in the show, um, but I assume that there must have been like a translator or something like that. Yeah, so I'm sure that it must have been some dialect of Korean, but whether it was accurate Korean, I don't know. Hopefully they were saying something and not just random gibberish. Uh, I I would hope so anyway. Yeah, I think so. So anyway, I have some trivia about the actor Philip Ahn, who played the Korean father or like the grandfather, the older gentleman. Mm -hmm. So Philip Ahn was born in Los Angeles in 1905. An was son of An Chang Ho, more commonly known as Dosan, who was an artist and political activist in Korea and became an activist for Korean immigrants in the U.S. as well. Oh, wow. An's parents were also apparently one of the first Korean nationals to move to the U.S., interestingly enough. I am uh, honestly surprised that this uh, man is Korean because often they just 
do sort of Asian people for the Koreans in the show. So I'm kind of happy that it is like accurate in that way. You know what I mean? I'm surprised. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's always um, really cool when they have a a real Korean actor playing the Korean parts um, because Mm -hmm. it wasn't like you said, it's not always like that, which kind of sucks. But yeah, this was really cool. Um, On had a prolific film and TV career starting in the 1930s with A Scream in the Night. He was also in Daughter of Shanghai and King of Chinatown alongside Anna Mae Wong, who is considered to be one of the first Chinese-American film stars in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I've heard the name, actually. Yeah, I I wanted to do like kind of a deep dive into her, but <laughs> I'll save that for another day. Okay. Ahn also made guest appearances in several TV shows throughout his career, such as Perry Mason, Bonanza, Sanford and Son, and this isn't even his last appearance on MASH, actually. He'll be playing two more characters as guest stars in the upcoming seasons. Okay. One of those guys, I see. That's cool. He was indeed one of those guys because he was in a ton of TV shows and movies. Ahn was also a main character in the 1970s show Kung Fu starring David Carradine. My dad was a massive fan of Kung Fu. That's the only thing I know about it other than it's like referenced in some Tarantino movies. But my dad loved Kung Fu. (laughs) Wow, I did not know that. That's so fun. So besides on what I found in my research, this family is super star-studded because on top of on being really prolific in acting, his father being a political activist in Korea and the US, on's sister, Susan On Cuddy, was the first Asian American woman to join the US Navy, the first woman gunnery officer in the US Navy, and the first Korean American in US Naval Intelligence in 1946. What a decorated family. That's so crazy. I thought it was super interesting that, like, the father did, like, political activism. But, like, having, you know, his sister also be, like, this major figure. That's so cool. Yeah. And on himself was also a political activist in the U.S. where he was very involved in the Korean community in Los Angeles. So, like, super amazing. This family is so cool. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? So... On unfortunately passed away in 1978 due to complications from a surgery, but he was posthumously honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1984, being the first Korean-American film actor to receive a star. That's very cool. Yeah, so I was really happy that I got to um, research Philip On because he was super cool and so was his family. And I also have a little bit of trivia about Shizuko Hoshi, who played the older woman in this she wasn't the pregnant woman she was just okay. the older like mom <laughs> the the various family members who go somewhat uncredited i believe not uncredited just unnamed entirely <laughs> yeah that's more what i meant <laughs> so hoshi is an actress of japanese descent and she was born in japan she won the 1958 and 1959 u.s open for women's single table tennis but she stopped competing after she got married Whoa, a table status champ? That's incredible already. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? So speaking of marriage, she was married to Mako, who was in several previous episodes of MASH and also had his own very prolific acting career. Um, And he was in Rainbow Bridge, which we covered. So if you want to hear about him, go back to that Mm -hmm. episode. (laughs) My main man, Mako. Oh, my God. This is this is like the best trivia we've ever done so far. This is a lot of good people. (laughs) It's so cool. So Hoshi had small roles in several movies, including the Academy Award-nominated short film Visas and Virtues, 
a movie called M. Butterfly and Memoirs of a Geisha, which was her last acting role. Iconic, super famous movie. I don't know if it holds up, but I, I know the title of it at least. Yeah, I've never seen it. I hadn't even heard of it until I was researching her. So that's really interesting. Wow, we're getting such big titles in this uh, trivia segment. Yeah, absolutely. Hoshi was also a guest star in several episodes of popular TV shows, including The the Six Million Dollar Man, Police Story, Starsky and Hutch, and Chicago Hope. This was also not her first episode of MASH either. She was in the episode Mad Dogs and Servicemen in season three. Oh, I don't think we like that episode. I don't remember that one exactly, but I remember not particularly enjoying it. (laughs) I don't remember, but I know that she played Rosie in that episode. So anytime Rosie as a character makes an appearance, best. The best. (laughs) Yeah. We love a queen. (laughs) (laughs) And Hoshi is still alive today. She and Mako had two daughters who were also actresses. And as her Wikipedia page says, which I don't know is entirely accurate, but they also had two grandchildren. Okay. Well, incredible families all around in this episode. Yeah, I was really, I always get really um, excited to research the guest stars as we've established before. But there's something about um, the Asian American guest stars or the people who are playing the Korean civilians and whatnot. um, I think that they get so overlooked so often. So it's really cool to be able to do deep dives into their careers as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, Ethan, this is hard for me, but what was your martini rating for this episode? Homie, you know I gotta give it five out of five, okay? There isn't a better version of this episode. This is the perfect version of itself. Five out of five, great time. We somehow talked about it for roughly 50 minutes. I don't know how (laughs) we did that. It was all one man talking to himself. (laughs) I agree with you. This is really hard for me. I don't know if it's a five out of five for me. I really like what the episode did, but I don't know. It just like something about it is really not allowing me to give it that full five out of five stars. I really like it. Like, don't get me wrong. It's definitely a four out of five for me. I think in terms of like objectivity, um, but I, I don't I don't know. I, I really, really enjoyed this episode. I thought that it was innovative and interesting. And Alan Alda as an actor and the writers and the direction was so, so good. So why am I not giving it a five out of five? I don't know. I'll say five out of five. Sure. <laughs> OK, well, I know you usually like having the whole cast involved, but obviously this is a special case where like you can't really knock the episode for not having the other cast around. Right, and it has so much that I hail as just such a great MASH episode mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, I think it would be disingenuous of me to say, not say that this is a 5 out of 5. On further examination, definitely a top-tier episode. A quintessential MASH, if I do dare to say. I would agree with you there. It was so funny because I, at the beginning, I was like, yeah, no, this is definitely a good one. It's interesting. It's cool. But like, is it the best MASH episode? But now I'm like, "Mm, it's a pretty good MASH episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty indicative of like what MASH can be. You know, it's it's a good drama to well-written character study. I don't know what to tell you, man. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, could I ask for anything better? No, I can't. I'm like, let's just say this now while we're talking. Like with that BoJack Horseman episode. I love BoJack Horseman, but a lot of that show is, like, very proud of itself for being sad. Mm. It's like, look at us. We're a comedy, but we're sad. And that show's great. But, like, this show just, like, 
did that way earlier. They're like, well, BoJack Horseman's cool, but it's not like they invented the idea of a sitcom being sad sometimes. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, like, the more I think about what you said, too, about the show not kind of sliding into this, like, existential dread or this depression or anything like that, I appreciate it so much more. I appreciate what the writers did so much more. So, yeah, like I said, just kind of top tier. Just it's a five good one. out of five. Yeah. <laughs> so, just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob for your Belko for being our technical consultant, Melissa, my sister, for cover art, and of course, our listeners, thank you so much. Our music, social media, and contacts for the show are linked in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 4, Episode 20, Some 38th Parallel. But until then, reproduce yourselves with gay abandon. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. <laughs> Bye, everyone. You made me laugh with that one. Good job.